Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. I got a new pair of headphones. What? what? Yeah, and we got them from a sponsor. Oh, what's the sponsor? Studio, and they make headphones in Sweden. Oh. Well. And Studio, actually, I do believe it's on one of the little cards they sent. It comes from the Phil Collins song. I, I, Studio. I, I, I was uh, thinking that's where it was from, which beautiful song. Yeah, so these, these head, headphones are great. I got the Regent over-ear ones. Mm-hmm. And they're Bluetooth, and I kind of poo-pooed Bluetooth a bit before, and uh, I was concerned that they wouldn't sound great, but they do. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and they have 24-plus hours of active battery life and, like, 20 days of standby. Oh, wow. I've been using them for a week, and I haven't had to charge them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, You don't have to use Bluetooth, though. You can use an auxiliary cord that came with them, and they even have, like, uh, caps that you can remove and put your own custom caps on the sides to make it look cooler. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, they're great, and uh, the design is nice, and they're lightweight, fit right in my pocket of my parka. You have a parka? Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's winter. Okay. Well, no. Well, not really anymore. There's there's cherry blossoms on the trees. But if you want a pair of Studio headphones for yourself, go to studio.com, use your discount code, which is poutine, all one word, and it will give you 15% off any purchase. I'm just going to take the ones they gave you because they look sexy. Uh, I might just allow you to borrow them. And uh, by might, uh, they're already in my pocket. Fantastic. Yep. Welcome to Dark Poutine. My name is Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Well, hi, everybody. Yeah. Uh, We're sitting here recording on a Sunday, and we're going to quickly edit after we record because... uh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Scott is out of bed on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. I thank you, Scott. Uh, I I had a little freak out yesterday uh, because our audio didn't turn out for this episode, so we have to re-record it. Yeah, it's... uh, uh, It happens, and I'm somewhat awake in here. Uh, Scott is somewhat awake in here. If, if, if you hear this, <laughs> that means that Scott has fallen asleep. If you, or if you hear Mike ask me questions and there's no reply, I'm asleep. Scott's asleep. Yeah. So let's get to it. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish, as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Uh, listener discretion, I almost said viewer discretion, is strongly advised. (laughs) You can view this podcast, I guess, on YouTube. Just Uh, look at photos of us while listening. I guess so. (laughs) That's it. It's not interesting. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians who are interested in the dark side of Canada and Canadian history. So put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an animal bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine.
welcome to episode 20 of Dark Poutine. Uh, holy crap. This one has been a little while to get uh, out of the gate, but we're working on it. I've been coughing like crazy. For right now, I'm, uh, I'm going to put a halls back into my mouth and talk, and uh, Scott is going to tell us a story. Yeah, so speaking of halls and cough sore drops. throats and cough drops and stuff, there's a... Uh, in uh, a music industry story uh, about Shania Twain and cough drops. Uh, now it's been a, I heard this a long time ago, and you know I'm not saying like I was there and I heard the conversation and stuff, so it might be off a bit. But the story went that Shania Twain, a Canadian performer, before she was famous, before she was uh, uh, a well-known artist, uh, one thing that would happen they could. The industry, the music industry, would do these kind of pitch sessions and um, with a bunch of A&R execs. And what would happen was, I think it was somewhere in Vegas, they would have like a, a show where new artists would get up and perform a few songs. Think about it kind of like American Idol and uh, and these A&R uh, and label executives would hear the performer and then they could kind of be like oh interesting let's look into maybe signing this person or working with the person so Shania Twain it was her turn to get up on stage and perform in front of all of these uh, execs and again keep in mind at that time unknown artist not the big famous Shania Twain we know now and she had a cold uh, she had been battling a cold her throat was a bit sore so she uh, gets on stage and announces to the uh, people in there. Um, now, so for those Americans or global people, uh, there is a uh, Canadian uh, cough drop called a fisherman's friend. Yep, fisherman's friend is the name of the, the that's the that's the name of the cough drop. Yes, and uh, so Shania Twain gets on stage, and she says to to the execs and everybody, um, "Hey guys." Uh, so I just want to make sure, I, I just want to let you know, uh, I have a bit of a sore throat, so I've been backstage sucking on a fisherman's friend, and hopefully, uh, hopefully that's going to help me take care of uh, the throat issues, and then performs her song. Needless to say, it certainly garnered a lot of attention from the uh, executives there, uh, like, well, <laughs> the executives who were there, um, watching and listening so uh it was always a kind of one of those uh, behind the scenes funny funny little uh, antidotes uh, uh, and stories so it's a, can you, you mean, imagine like you mean anecdote anecdote yes or an antidote it's it it it, it uh, uh it's my job to correct you it it she she cured poisoning Sure. She cured poison. Sure she did. Yeah, she's she's like that. But yeah, and it was it was just like one of those funny stories of um of uh, Shania Twain's um uh sucking on a fisherman's friend. <laughs> sucking on. Cuz to us it's like we we get what that is and so you can say that and be like, "Okay, I get it." Before we get into the episode, I have another really quick Shania Twain story. My buddy Paul, who's a radio guy, uh he liked to uh call Carol up and say rude things to her when uh, before she would pass me the phone. One of the things he used to like was that uh, Shania Twain song, I Feel Like a Woman. Oh, yes. And in the song, there's a lyric where she says, color my hair. Okay. And he would say, it sounds like she's telling her man to do something else in her hair. Oh, oh, oh I can, yeah. Yeah, can so if that, you yeah. listen to it, yeah, you're going to hear. Yeah, now I will. 
Thankfully, I don't listen to her music very often. No, so, I don't. So. <laughs> I try not to. But if it ever pops in the radio. Sure. Something in her hair. In this episode, we're talking about a cold case. Uh, we've only done the one other, and that's the uh, Babes in the Woods in Stanley Park in episode 13. Uh, we'd like to tackle some more cold cases, but I get afraid I'll get stumped for information. Uh, one of our listeners, Erica, is looking into an old case for us that there's not a lot of information on uh, that she's going to share uh, some of what she learned at the Vancouver Police Museum. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That's really awesome of her. Thank you, Erica. Hopefully we can uh, create an episode out of that because that story is pretty fantastic. I don't want to spoil it right now, but uh, let me tell you, it's one that nobody else has done. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. Even though some other people have done this particular one, I feel this needs to be told because I have those, again, personal connections to this story. Mm-hmm. That's awesome that we got peeps out there working on uh, things for us. Too. Yeah, and if you are interested in helping us with research, I am absolutely open to that. If you research a story to the nth degree and you send me all the stuff, I will just write an episode about it. I.e., would you like to do our work for us? Uh, exactly. It only takes me about like three days to actually, three full work days to, to <laughs> research an episode and then another full work day to write. So. Yes, me as well. You're so full of shit. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you as well. Oh, aren't we cute? Not particularly. So the one we're taking on today is another case from the Maritimes, uh, and it's about Kimberly McAndrew, who went missing on August 12th, 1989. She was a 19-year-old Dalhousie University student. She was working at the Canadian Tire in Halifax, hmm. and she just went missing one afternoon. Uh, I remember this really well. She wore braces, which is kind of unusual at that time for a 19-year-old to have braces, and it made her look, I think, a little younger than her years, Yep. and which may figure into the story a little later. She was 5'3", so she wasn't tall, and they say she weighed about 134 pounds, but I've seen other places where it says she weighed 110, and that's quite a... Mm, Quite a difference. Yeah, at that Um, height, that's a substantial weight. Yeah. Uh, She had brown shoulder-length hair with bangs and blue eyes. She was the typical girl next door. She was described as somewhat shy, friendly, and a sweet person. Kimberly came from a nice middle-class family in Parsboro. Do you know where Parsboro is, Scott? Oh, totally don't. (laughs) Totally don't. Nova Scotia is a peninsula, the long peninsula, and then it has like an arm that sticks out and joins it to the mainland in New Brunswick. I like my peninsulas to have arms. Okay. The peninsula (laughs) that joins to New Brunswick is where Parsboro is. Oh, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You son of a gun. Uh, It's a town of about 1,200 people, so not big at all, uh, and it's in Cumberland County, Nova Scotia, just over the New Brunswick border. And speaking of... Funny Nova Scotia names. Carol reminded me of one that I did not say on our oh, funny episode. Do tell. On our funny names episode. It's Shubenacity. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there's a wildlife farm in Shubenacity, Nova Scotia. Wow. Shubenacity. Shubenacity. And so Shubenacity Sam is an actual groundhog. That comes out on Groundhog Day to tell us whether there's going to be more winter. Shubenacity. Shubenacity. You are saying it correctly. But one of our very, very dear friends and a listener, Malcolm, is from Shubenacity. Wow. 
Wow. He's a shooby boy. Wow, Malcolm. Yes. Way, way to shoobinackety. Yes, exactly. Do you know the way to shoobinackety? <laughs> doesn't quite flow, does it? No, flows no. wonderfully. Back to Kimberly McAndrew. Uh, she was well-liked. She had no known enemies, and her dad was an RCMP officer, so mm. she came from a, a good home. Yeah. I remember when she vanished, it was big news, and as we were in the same age group, she was just a little less than a year younger than I am. Uh, I found it extremely creepy that someone her age would just vanish. Mm-hmm. It brought back to my 20-year-old mind those moments in the park that I spoke of in episode 10 where a stranger grabbed me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was obviously immediately taken with the story, having a little PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I watched every news piece, followed all the updates on radio and newspaper, and there were no smartphones or internet then, so we had to wait for every news bite. Boo. But yeah, the radio was pretty, pretty on top of things. Yeah. What happened to her? Uh, that's a question we're still asking because no, she's never been found. Ugh. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, not only does your kid go missing, here we are more than 25 years later, and she's still not around. You know, we're almost 30 years. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. I, I don't want to because... No, absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not asking you to imagine that. Good. Don't. Because it's a horrific thing. Yeah, Mike. Don't stop oh asking. Oh my God, I'm a, man, I'm a mean guy. Totally. So there are lots of theories that we'll get into, but nothing is really concrete. Kimberly lived in Halifax off Quimple Road. Uh, lots of university students in Dal and St. Mary's. She went to Dal. Mm-hmm. I went to St. Mary's. They're kind of like rival schools. St. Mary's is better for football, everybody. Wow. Just, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. He went there. The Huskies. Oh. Go Huskies. Mm-hmm. Both the universities are in downtown Halifax. It's great. It's a great university town. There's lots of apartment buildings and stately Victorian homes that have been divided into apartments and play, lots of places for students to board. But Kimberly lived in the neighborhood in an apartment with her, her older sister. I remember Quinpool Road really well. It was a main artery of Halifax that was uh, always hopping. There's the Boy Scout outlet where you go to get your Boy Scout mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. for the year or your, your your new uniform when you upgraded from Cubs to Boy Scouts. Sure, I have no idea. Did you not do that? I didn't do a lot of things. Kate. M- my mom? Your mom. Yeah. She, she didn't force you into Cubs or any of that kind of stuff? No, man. My parents were hippies. Yeah, well, she, she like, actually I, seems pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, my parents were very, very, very She messages cool. me on Twitter. I know. It's so I, awesome. I know, I know. Yeah. Doesn't message me. Well, Mom. Exactly. Mom. Exactly. Also was the Master Baker Shop. I always wanted to change the K in Baker's to a T. I, I think it's mandatory that kids want that. Uh, I think I was born this way. You were absolutely born this way. So the Oxford Cinema, it had balcony seating where I saw sneakers with Robert Redford and River Phoenix. So like you guys were there together and you you were looking at sneakers? No. Oh. It was a movie called Sneakers. Oh, that, okay. Yes, I do remember that too. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I was hanging out with Robert Redford and River Phoenix. Looking at sneakers. In in Halifax. Looking at sneakers. Yeah, as as one would. Hey, it it happens. It does. I also saw the original Karate Kid there with my buddy Mike. Sweep the leg. Yep, sweep the leg. You got a problem with that? Afterward, uh, I do believe there was some drinking. Hmm. uh, As there tended to be when I was 
that age. Well, I mean, and I can remember us like trying to do karate in the bathroom. Yeah, Robert Radford's a bit of a drinker, so I can understand. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'd re- be remiss, though, if I didn't mention uh, the place that Carol and I uh, went on the first afternoon of our honeymoon to eat. Oh, where is that? It was called Hoagie's Steakhouse. That sounds uh, good. And there you could get a chubby with your yippee. Yeah, I usually do get a chubby with my yippee. So, seeing as we've done this before, you know what a chubby is now. Uh uh I'm still standing by what I think it is. What do you think it is? It's an erection. <laughs> no. It's a hot dog. It's an erection. And your yippee is? Vagina. No, it's a steak. <laughs> so you can get a hot dog with your steak. So it's kind of great, actually, like a barbecued hot dog with your amazing T-bone. Erection and Vagina. Scott. Yeah. I'm just, it's just science, man. I'm hoping that there are no parents driving along listening to this podcast now that have to explain the birds and the I bees said, I said, to their children. I said, I wasn't rude. I said the, the uh, technical names of said things. I didn't, I didn't say boner and hoo-hoo. Rock and roll, coochie-coo. Exactly. Okay. Uh, another business we also passed uh, heading deeper into the city was the Canadian Tire at uh, 6203 Quinpool Road. It's still there today. Mm. And that is where Kimberly McAndrew worked as a cashier and where she was last seen. Mm. Business was slow on that humid Saturday afternoon. Kimberly's supervisor told her that she could leave early. She was probably chomping at the bit. It was her boyfriend's birthday and she they were going to a bit of a party afterward. Of course she wanted to leave early. They were going downtown to see the Busker Festival on the waterfront, and I'm sure being 19 in Nova Scotia, you're going to be drinking when you're down there too, do a little bar hopping. Yeah, Busker Festival sounds like a neat thing too. It is actually. They uh, they have it, or they did have it every year. I'm not sure they still do because I haven't lived there in almost 25 years. But yeah, it's a, a fantastic city to party in, for sure. And get your yippies. Yeah, you're, you can get a chubby with your yippie. Exactly. Yep. Even though uh, her sister Erin and some friends were due to pick her up at 5 p.m., uh, Kimberly left at 4.20 on foot. She only lived a few blocks away, so she thought, I'll get home before they come to get me. Five o'clock comes, and Erin shows up looking for Kimberly. Mm. And she wasn't there. She was nowhere to be seen, in fact. And they, did, they didn't see her on the route to the store. They would have passed her. There was only really one way to go. Yeah. And so they drove around the neighborhood looking for Kimberly. No luck. They headed home again to check if she was there. Maybe they'd missed her somehow. She wasn't there either. This was not at all like Kimberly. And uh, they knew something was wrong right away. Yeah. So Aaron called her parents in Parsboro to let them know that Kimberly had not come home from work and that they couldn't find her anywhere. Kimberly got along with everyone, so her relationship with her boyfriend was really good, and she made decent grades in school. She really had no reason to run away. Regardless, she was gone. Mm, terrifying. I've, I've had my one of my girls uh, not uh, come out of school when she was supposed to, just standing there, and it was... Uh, when, that sense of panic when somebody's not you can't find somebody is extreme like it's it's a terrifying thing so i can only imagine how how petrified this uh, her family was i remember actually this just you saying that just brought a memory back uh of when i was a kid our 
next door neighbors, the Simmons, they had two kids. So one, one was, the son was my age. The daughter was my sister Rachel's age and her name was Lynn. And she was about six or seven. She didn't come home for supper. She didn't come home like after school, didn't come home for supper. And so I remember all the dads going out looking. Yeah. The police had been called and all this kind of stuff. And it was horrible. Like everybody thought that somebody had, had taken Lynn. Yeah. This was probably, this would have been the seventies. Oh, okay. So it was very rare for something like that to happen. And if a kid goes missing, then it was actually like a big deal. They treated it like a big deal, especially cause she was only six or seven years old. Yeah. It's like, it's yep. like Olivia not coming yep. home. Yep. So yeah, they, they looked and looked and looked and then she just arrived home at like eight, eight o'clock that night. And she had been at a friend's place for dinner and forgot to call and oh, let God. her. It's just like, yeah, the, the, there isn't much more, uh, worse than that panic. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's crippling. Oh my gosh. I can remember Mr. Simmons, Barry, he was, he was so upset. I just remember him standing in our kitchen talking to dad about it. I don't remember if dad went out with him specifically to look, but I remember all the dads going out looking. It was very, mm-hmm. very scary. Yeah. yeah. She was fine. Yeah. Good. Thank I'm, God. I'm so sure she got a whooping after that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> or, or a good talking uh, to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, don't do that again, please. You scared the crap out of us. Well, it's tough because I know once Violet finally got, like, once I finally found Violet, the teacher just kept the kids late and didn't let anybody know. But, uh, you know, there was frustration and whatnot, but it, you're just so, you're elated, like, oh my God, you're okay. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the, the lectures come a bit later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody knew that it was very unusual for Kimberly to be disappearing like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, her sister Megan said years later in a CBC interview, you know, I used to make fun of her because she wouldn't walk downtown to Parsboro alone and she'd make her go with her to buy a Diet Coke. Mm. And that's not the personality of somebody who's just gone off. Yeah, so family can tell if it's quite out of character. Yeah. When she vanished, Kimberly was wearing jade green flat-heeled slip-on loafers, blue casual pants, a white red Esprit t-shirt under an oversized blue cardigan sweater, the uniform of the day for the teen girls around that time. She even had the feathery kind of hair, the teased up oh, hair yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I remember that look. Yeah, for it sure. It was the 80s. It totally was. Uh, she was carrying a blue backpack. No money was ever withdrawn from her bank accounts and nothing from her apartment was missing. Hmm. Uh, right away, her family believed that she'd met with foul play. As word went out in the media, people tried to remember if they'd seen the pretty teen and uh, leads poured in at first. One particularly interesting tip came uh, via the Gardenia Flower Shop in the Penhorn Mall across the bridge in Dartmouth. And so that's like a 16-minute drive okay. uh, with no traffic. Yep. They say that sometime between 4.30 and 5 p.m. on August 12th, 89, the day of Kimberly's disappearance, a girl closely matching the recently released description of her came into the store and bought a balloon and a single red rose. That would make sense because it was her boyfriend's birthday. So, hey, I'm going to be nice and buy him something. Yeah, for sure. Know? But why the hell in Pen- in the Penhorn Mall, there was like plenty of places around Quinpool where she could have gotten those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Penhorn Mall is just this crappy mall across uh, across the bridge. It, it wouldn't attract 
somebody like that. So maybe she was taken there. We'll see later. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody kind of owns up to having driven Kimberly across the bridge. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Her boyfriend had been ruled out as a suspect already because he was with Kimberly's sister. Okay. So, you know. Yep, yep. They were coming to pick pick her up. But why Penhorn Wall? I just can't figure it out. Yeah, it's she, confusing. She didn't have a, a car of her own. She left a Canadian Tire on foot. And unless she immediately got into a bus or taxi right away, there was no way she could have made it. So yeah. if she got there, she had to have been driven there. Yeah. Maybe her abductor drove her there. You know, like I've speculated on this. Maybe he lured her into the car somehow. She was an RCMP officer's daughter. I don't know how possible that is going to be, but, you know, why let her run errands, you know? Yeah, the only way something like that would be plausible in my mind if it was somebody she knew. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't even Kimberly in the store, you know? Well, I mean, it's not uncommon for somebody to buy a balloon and a flower in a flower shop. Yeah, exactly. And it was the 80s, so the look was quite common. Exactly. Who knows? Who knows? I, I have a feeling that it, it wasn't, wasn't her. That's what, I, yeah, that's what my gut tells me. Yeah. Anyway, the lead was a dead end, and, uh, but one that some investigators, professional and amateur, still talk about today. We just talk about it. <laughs> Kimberly's father, Cyril McAndrew, retired from the RCMP a month after Kimberly disappeared. He put his investigative efforts into finding his own daughter, I guess that he felt that was more important to him than being a member, uh, which would make sense to me until the end of his life when he passed away. So he passed away in 2004, uh, not knowing where his daughter was. Mm. I just, that's terrifying. Terrible. That's a terrible, oh. So let's have a word from our sponsor, Studio Headphones. At the top of the show, I told you about my new Regent on-ear headphones. They are sent to us from this week's sponsor, Studio Headphones from Sweden. The Regent is Studio's premium on-ear model, with impeccable clarity in the instrumental tones and well-balanced sound. With 24-plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, the Regent is the perfect companion for you at home or on the go. It will automatically connect to any device that has Bluetooth, but there is also an auxiliary cord if you don't want to use that wireless option. You can also personalize your region headphones with interchangeable caps such as white or black marble designs. The combination of high-polished metal and matte surfaces embodies the vision of Scandinavian design. I'm using mine to listen to music and podcasts on my commute. I love the compact size, sturdy but elegant design, ease of use, and the fact that I can leave my phone in my pocket. If you want a pair of Studio headphones for yourself, go to studio.com and use our discount code, DARKPOUTINE, all one word, DARKPOUTINE, which will give you 15% off any purchase. Now back to the show. In 1995, after six more years of being uh, sent on numerous wild goose chases by well-meaning folks who thought they were helping to find Kimberly, the police and the McAndrews were at the end of their rope. Every lead was a dead end. They'd come to believe that Kimberly had not ever left the Canadian Tire parking lot on her own. Mm -hmm. They thought that she'd been abducted right there. 
Makes most sense. Yeah. The Halifax Regional Police reached out to well-known psychic investigator Noreen Renier to assist. She had even worked with the famed FBI profiler Robert Ressler. He's the man who termed the word, word serial killer. And she came highly recommended by him. Mm, cool. Yeah, Renier would receive a personal item from a victim so she could connect them, connect to them with through what's called psychometry. Okay. So kind of like the hair that the person used on the dowsing rod to yep. find uh, Mindy Tran, which yep. actually did happen. Yep. So we talked about psychics before. Scott has some very strong opinions on psychics. Yeah, quacks. Okay, that's pretty strong. Renier spent uh, three phone sessions with investigators and the McAndrew family, all of which are available to listen to in their entirety online. We'll link to them in our show notes. Uh, We've listened to all of them, and they're fairly confusing and dry overall, but there's some interesting moments. In the first session, desperate for some connection, Kimberly's mother asks whether the person who took Kimberly had any personal belongings of hers. The answer's odd and rambling at first, but when it comes, it's chilling. So here it is. Well, I think I think uh, her mom would like to ask you a question, okay? Okay, sure. Can I ask you or can I ask Kimberly? Well, first we got to get Kimberly in, okay? Uh, but let me just hear you speak for a few moments. Uh, this is just Noreen, but let me hear your voice. Um, I wanted to ask if the person took Kimberly from Canadian Tire, that he would have any of her possessions now with him. Uh, there would be even either a very close relationship or a blood relationship or something that they, they, they lived very close or I just go close, close, close. And I really don't know if the blood matches or not, but I see blood. Um, uh, what was the question? I, I'm sorry, I lost it. What, say it again. I wanted to know if the person who took Kimberly from Canadian Tire Store would have any of her... Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, she had this very, I don't know if it was a uh, very thin, uh, something very thin. I feel very, something very thin. It, it could either be a very thin piece of jewelry or a thin piece of, uh, 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 would be more like underpants if it was a piece of clothing. So, thoughts? Um, lots of them. I, I don't... Uh, uh, again, I try to not be somebody who's like, this isn't real, and it's stupid. I mean, m- maybe there's some legit uh, psychics, but I, I don't believe in it, and I don't uh, support them. I think they psychics often just throw the case off and leave the officers and detectives in the wrong direction. And um, saying there's, you know, she, he's in possession of a thin item of hers is like so vague. Like, of course. Yeah. Especially mentioning underwear. Absolutely. Who's who here is wearing thick woolly underwear? Well, I mean, like I, I've got on burlap underwear, but that's beside the. It's because you're punishing yourself. Exactly, and so so to me, it's just they throw out vague uh, generalities that can apply to anything, and uh, so. Uh, I don't know. I I like to think that this is possible that somebody has some weird way of connecting with the universe that they might be able to understand that. I'm not saying I believe it, mm-hmm. but I, I'm skeptical as well. But I would like to think that there's some shred of, like, this person sounds like she believes what she's saying. 
And when she's talking about the blood, she could be talking about blood on that particular item. Sure. But that's the thing that is, it, it, it's always vague. So yeah. things could apply or could apply. And absolutely. Do I, uh, do I hope that there are like psychic powers are real? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it, life is much more interesting with stuff like that in it. Right. But do I believe it? I don't. Well, there you go. So there's more uh, audio where um, in the second session where the focus is a lot on Point Pleasant Park and Point Pleasant Park is a park um, down uh, in the south end of Halifax, I do believe. It's it's really big. It used to be a part of uh, Halifax's defenses. Uh, so there's lots of weird structures down there, uh, very old structures um, like forts and those kind of things. So... Uh, it's densely forested, so it would be a great place to hide a body mm. if you wanted to hide a body yeah. down there. And so uh, here's some audio of the investigator and uh, Noreen Renier talking about Point Pleasant Park. Kimberly, can you tell me if you're in Point Pleasant Park? Well, yes, uh, yes, I am. Uh, I, I'm there. Uh, you all maybe came in within 10 to 12 yards uh, of some seriousness of serious searching Uh, I feel close but I feel like 10 to 12 Uh, 10 to 12 I don't know if it's feet, yards I don't know what the measurement is but I feel 10 to 12 where you were so she's claiming she's speaking as Kimberly I guess she's channeling Kimberly somehow yeah 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 Uh, and she's saying they came close in their search. They were searching a well in Point Pleasant Park. But he intended 12 feet, uh, kilometers, miles, uh, continents, because there's 12 of them now. What? Okay, I'm befuddled. Yeah, you should be. Um, Behooved? Oh, God, we don't need to get into that. Yeah, okay. I did correct you. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'm going to change my... Okay, you keep keep using that incorrectly. It's fine. I will. Uh, So between the tapes two and three, police speak with an unnamed suspect that they refer to in tape three, Hmm. which is interesting. He claims to, with two other people, to have picked Kimberly up just outside of Canadian Tire, taken her into Dartmouth, murdered her, and brought her body back to Halifax to dispose of it. This, uh, okay. Yeah. So here's the audio of police explaining what the psychic actually got right in comparison to the story that they were being told by this suspect. It's just that where he claimed to pick her up was very close to what you were saying. And then when you claim to see a bridge with the alphabet or letters, uh, the first thing you see is uh, HDBC, which is Halifax Dartmouth Bridge Commission. Oh, so what? What is? All right, tell me what is the story. Go ahead. What? What is the story? Now you got me curious. What? What is the story? The reason I'm saying it is because you were very accurate in the very first session. I mean, uh, you said the short distance from the store she scooped up, which is the first intersection, and, and he claims that's true. That's that's. I mean, he's telling us this. He didn't know what you had said. Oh, now he, he's saying that, uh, and he's with somebody with two people, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's it's more than, okay, so he's, there's three of them and they pick her up. Yeah, that's right, which is the first intersection, as you say, after she leaves the store. Mm-hmm. And then she, they go across this bridge, uh, which is HDBC, North mm-hmm. Dartmouth Bridge Commission. Mm-hmm. And the actually name of it is uh, Angus L. McDonald Bridge. 
they go to Dartmouth, uh, not too far after the bridge where they cross the bridge. Uh, and then supposedly that's where she's murdered. And then they come back across the bridge to Halifax. And, and then the park we ended up in, a lot of things you saw in our last session are, are very close. So th- there you go. Yeah, uh, some interesting stuff in there. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know more about this. Uh, I presume this is the same suspect mentioned in an article I was reading on cellardoor.net, speculating whether a serial killer stalked Halifax in the 80s and 90s, and this has some more information about this person. So there were also reports of another unnamed suspect of high interest in Kimberly's case, the man is said to be a Halifax resident who was allegedly obsessed with her. The, this individual worked in the Quinpool Road area near the Canadian Tire, and it was confirmed that he had been in contact with Kimberly on the day of her abduction. Okay. Mm. The man indicated to police that he might know the location of Kimberly's body. According to the Chronicle Herald, we used to call it the Chronically Horrid <laughs> newspaper, A search warrant of his home uncovered numerous photos of Kimberly and newspaper clippings pertaining to her case. A handwritten book dedicated to her and a blue knapsack that had resembled the one that she was carrying when she was last seen. Wow, okay. They also confiscated what is described as sadistic literature by the Marquis de Sade, a book titled The Encyclopedia of Modern Murder, a book about forensics and newspaper clippings about uh, the murder of another girl who was from... BC and came to Halifax and disappeared right away. Her name was Andrea King. Yeah, this this individual fascinates me. I mean, that's it, it sounds like this person straight out of seven, right? Uh, you know, with a handwritten and, journal, yeah, notebooks there. But uh, yep, it yeah, it it's all very. Uh, this to me sounds like a, a key suspect. A pretty so, pretty viable. Or... So is this supposed to be some? In that audio, they mentioned um, this is the guy. somebody uh, uh, confessed, and so yeah. I'm, I'm struggling. There's a confession. Like, right. How is it not? Well, it led to a search where he says that he left her, but there was nothing there in this well in in uh, Point Pleasant Park. Okay, so the okay, so they they were able to find out that the stuff he had mentioned wasn't accurate. Yeah, so he might okay. have been, yes, obsessed with Kimberly to the point of it being an unhealthy obsession, and he was a, looked like he was obsessed with her, her her death as well. Yeah. So, or disappearance, assumed death. We don't, she may still be alive somewhere, mm-hmm. for all we know, we hope, uh, but I doubt that. Yes. There's some more doubt later on as, as we go. Yeah. Because some suspects, some actual real suspects start to crop up. The Andrea King case we mentioned here uh, is as yet another unsolved murder in the Halifax area, and we'll talk about that as we go. Uh, Interestingly, the investigator later said that he felt he had trusted the wrong person. Hmm. And I'm not sure if he meant the suspect or the psychic. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to say which one he's referring to. Over the years, there have been uh, many leads and many suspects, but no sign of Kimberly. Uh, Serial killer Michael Wayne McRae, who committed some of his at least seven and as many 18 or more murders, some were in Nova Scotia, and he said Kimberly's name sounded familiar, but that's pretty much as far as it went with him. Hmm. Do you know anything about that guy? Not really. Interesting, right? Yeah. So there's so many Canadian serial killers that there's practically nothing about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty fascinated. I've found a whole bunch more. Another good suspect, uh, and this is the one that I kind of really like, his name was Andrew Paul Johnson. And Andrew Paul Johnson, he was ultimately arrested here in British Columbia in 1997 oh. or so. On October 6, 97, someone was trying to abduct kids right off the streets in Nanaimo, uh, BC, on Vancouver Island. And Nanaimo, yes, Nanaimo bars, Nanaimo. It is the origin of them. Yeah. Anyway, on the afternoon of October 6, 12-year-old girl was walking along the street in the afternoon when she came upon a man stopped in his vehicle. He identified himself through the window of his car as a police officer. He showed her a badge. And he said that there'd been a robbery and he had, that she, the 12-year-old girl, had been identified. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we all know 12-year-old girls are big into robbery. Oh, huge. It's the, you know, what else are they going to do? Yeah. He directed her to get into his car. The girl refused. The respondent then asked the girl to provide her name and telephone number, which she did. And then he drove away. Ah, How creepy. Right? I can't stand this uh, stories like that. A few hours later, uh, around 5.30 or 6, on the same day, another 12-year-old girl was outside her home. A man pulled up and asked her to come to his car. He claimed he was a police officer, showed her a badge and a wallet. He asked the girl's name and birth date. He told her that robberies had occurred in the neighborhood and asked if she knew anything about them. And... He wanted her to take a lie detector test because, again, she had been identified as a suspect. Mm -hmm. He asked her twice to get into the car so we can talk, quote. The girl refused and said she would go get her mother, at which point the man said, no, that's okay, and drove off. Well, the thing I like about those two stories is uh, we're led to, uh, we all have the impression that uh, uh, kids just get into cars all the time. And so having to just be like... uh, Nope, I'm good. Yeah. It is encouraging. Yes. Well, they're, I guess, third time's a charm for this guy. Oh, fuck. The next victim uh, that day uh, was 20 years old, but uh, oh. she was intellectually challenged. Not my wording. This is the wording in the court documents that I read. Mm-hmm. So she looked a lot younger than her 20 years. She was riding her bicycle when the same man pulled up, showed a badge, and identified himself as a police officer again directing her to get into the car. Mm. And although she had second thoughts, she got into the back seat. The man said that he was going to take her to the forest. Of course. Yeah. While driving the young woman, uh, she became upset and asked to be taken back to her bicycle, but the man refused, so obviously more upset. He drove her around the roads on the outskirts of Nanaimo drinking beer, When the woman tried to get out of the car, she was unable to, as the doors were locked, causing her to panic. Holy crap. Yeah, what a terrifying visual. Yeah. However, at 7 p.m., Constable Durskin of the Nanaimo RCMP, hooray, Mounties, stopped the car with the young woman inside. The car had been identified as the vehicle that was trying to pick up other kids in the neighborhood. Mm. And as the officer approached, the man told the frightened young woman to stay in the car. He finished the beer he was drinking and broke the plastic badge on the floor of the car. Because they won't find this broken thing on the... No, no, it's broken. Yeah. The officer uh, leaned into the vehicle through the driver's window, and he asked the woman who the driver was. She responded, he's a cop just like you. 
perfect response in my opinion. Good job. You're almost falling asleep. That well, yeah, no, I may have been. It's early. It is early for me. Anyway, Durskin arrested Andrew Paul Johnson for the impersonation, and on his arrest, he was definitely drunk. He was like 0.13. In other words, he was pie-eyed again. Tanked. So, yep. Another RCMP officer searching Johnson's car recovered broken plastic badge, a pornographic movie. Oh, which movie? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, all right. I, I tried to find out which one it was. Did, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm not surprised. And this is what creeped me out. A meat cleaver was under the driver's seat within reach of the driver. Oh, that's that's where most cooks keep them, Mike. Okay. And they keep them, they keep their knives under the car seats. And because it's so hygienic there. It, it is. In yeah. With, with the cigarette ashes and fallen bubble gum and things like that. And close to the kitchen. No. Very close. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was also KY jelly. Oh my god. Okay. Packing tape. Toy handcuffs of sufficient strength to use to restrain. So not real ones, but I had a pair of those little fake metal ones when I was a kid. Yeah, you couldn't get off those. Oh, man. And a head covering Halloween mask and full and empty cans of beer. So there was also a map with the names and telephone numbers of the first two girls that Johnson had attempted to abduct. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. The childproof locks on the rear doors of Johnson's car were engaged, so... He clearly, like, he had intent. Absolutely. Absolutely. After his arrest, he opened up a bit and tried to explain himself out of trouble. He had arrived in Nanaimo from Nova Scotia a week prior, so there's the connection to back east. Mm -hmm. He said that the mask in the car was from Halloween and that the cleaver was from his work as a cook. See, Mike? Right? Store them under the seats. Just put it under your car seat. I think that that's where I should store our microphones after we're done. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Put the computer in there and... Logical. Sure. Why not? I'll just leave them under the seat of the car. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Yeah, because no one knows there. No. No. I could get accused of trying to abduct somebody and get them to podcast with me. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of what you know, I've done to you. Yesterday, I think that you were, <laughs> that was a likely yeah. option. Yeah. I was upset. <laughs> I even posted how mortified I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was acting like a tool. That <laughs> <laughs> happens. It does. More to me than you. No, trust me. So this guy also told the RCMP that he had strong sexual urges and that alcohol was a fuel and disinhibitor for these urges. And that prior to his arrest on October 6th, he'd been on a binge for about two weeks. Mm. He said that he did bad things when he goes on a drinking binge. Yeah, I I often think it's the reverse. I think they go on drinking binges. To do bad things? To do bad things. Yeah, Yeah. like they have an excuse for their behavior. Yeah. I was drunk. Look, I was drunk. Yep, exactly. I have heard that many, many times. Uh, The cops looked into his background and found a string of offenses against women and children dating uh, back to Andrew Paul Johnson's 20s uh, in 1981. These included brutal rapes and touching minors sexually, both male and female. After an incident of very public masturbation in Nova Scotia, Andrew Paul Johnson was sentenced on January 29, 1997 to three years probation with conditions including that he have no contact with females under 16, 
abstain from drugs and alcohol and take sexual offender treatment. So he blew the first two Mm. (laughs) with what he was up to. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, sexual offender treatment is that driving across the country and trying to abduct girls. Yeah, uh, you know, he really got off to a terrible uh, start to this. Um, I'm going to just start a new... Rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. He was under this order when he committed this, uh, these offenses in Nanaimo. And so through a bunch of court proceedings, he was declared a dangerous offender because good this had gone back uh, all the way to 1981 and we're in 97 now. Yeah. So over a period of, of 16 years, he was being a horrific monster. Yep. However, he's suspected in at least a dozen murders as well. And he's the prime suspect wow. in those. Okay. So in June uh, 1991, this one is interesting. Uh, 20-year-old Carla Strickland from Mahone Bay, uh, very close to Bridgewater where I'm from, yeah. she was found in the woods in Dartmouth. Another of my personal monsters was also suspected in Carla Strickland case. I tell the st- I'll tell the story in uh, in the after show for those interested. Uh, but I had to testify against, against this guy after he. Tried to bash my brains in against a brick wall. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, check out that... Uh, uh, after show. The after show. Yeah. It, it's, all, it's not common to uh, record the after show before the... Yeah, but that was because... Yeah. Yep. But yep. anyway, yep. it's yep. done. But yeah, so I showed you a picture of that guy, Scott. What did you think of him? Um, I thought he was a tool. Yeah. No, I mean, I've tried, I don't, I don't want to... Yeah. Uh, but no, he, he, not a good man. Not a good man. No. No, he definitely is not. And so apparently he was suspected in, in that murder case, but uh, the prime suspect in it is this guy, this Andrew Paul Johnson. So interesting. Mm. In April 1996, Stephen Michael Hall disappeared in Halifax, and his body was discovered near the Windsor Road that November and also, we mentioned Andrea King above, a British Columbia teen. Uh, she disappeared shortly after moving to Halifax on New Year's Day in 1992. Her body was found almost a year later, and some of her belongings, identified by her mother, were found in Andrew Paul Johnson's apartment. Okay. Yeah. So, Johnson was never charged with that crime. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, it looks like her stuff. Is it her stuff? I don't know. But I don't know what it is about crime in Canada. It seems like it has to be so bloody airtight before they even charge somebody. Well, I guess they don't want as like the craziness that happens in the U.S. to happen here. And I think that they often want to make sure that the when they do press charges, it's going to stick. Yeah. And so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, but there does definitely seem to be a delay. Another crime that he's suspected of is the disappearance of Kimberly McAndrew, and here's why. At some point in his confinement, Andrew Paul Johnson wrote an essay to his prison psychiatrist outlining the abduction, rape, and murder of Kimberly McAndrew. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, as his M.O. was posing as a police officer, that may have been how, if he did it, lured Kimberly into his car. Yeah, yeah, it's a possibility. You know? Yeah. Johnson's essay led to the search of his brother's home in Shad Bay, Nova Scotia in March of 2013. It looked a lot like the Picton investigation with them digging up his backyard with tents and all those yeah, kind of things. Yeah. Kimberly McAndrews' family was hopeful for a resolution, but none came. And here's another weird personal connection for me. 
in my research, the RCMP corporal who led the investigation was my friend and former Bridgewater neighbor, Sean Mason. He lived like literally two houses away from us around the corner on Jubilee Road. Beginning to think you're connected to every single... Isn't it weird? Crime that's happening in Canada. Well, every, I think I'm attracted to these ones because I have a connection to them in some way. Yeah, probably a distinct possibility. Yeah. Well. But uh, yeah, so we used to play basketball together in my parents' driveway. Oh. Yeah. Any good? He was, actually. He yeah. could dunk a basketball. Huh. Could yeah. you? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm like four <laughs> feet tall. I'm, it's in Smurf language, that's three apples tall. Spud Webb did it, so I'm just saying. Spud Webb was taller than me. <laughs> Fine. Potato, potato. So, as psychiatrists don't believe Johnson cares about right and wrong, he may have been lying to police just to mess with them with his con- in his confession. They didn't find anything at mm. his brother's place. Maybe he just did it to mess with his brother. You know? Oh, I don't God. know. Uh, yeah. One last tidbit about Andrew Paul Johnson that I find very interesting. At the time of Kimberly McAndrew's abduction, a girlfriend of Johnson's lived right across the street from the Canadian Tire where Kimberly was last seen, and that's in Quimpool Towers. Mm-hmm. So Andrew Paul Johnson could have been looking out the window at Kimberly McAndrew doing her thing around the Canadian Tire. Yeah, that's a pretty intriguing connection. Right? Yeah. It's like that whole idea of from Silence of the Lambs, what do we kill? That, that which with that we covet. Mm. You know, yep. like you see with your eyes, yep. there's that person. He didn't even have to stalk her like she was right there. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's not something you can just toss away. Yeah. That uh, uh, closeness. That's right. Yeah. So we're almost done. You, you can go back home and go back to sleep. Oh. So. <laughs> and I will. In a recent uh, chronic, Chronicle Herald or Chronically Horrid or Comically Horrid. Oh. Or, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Kimberly's sister, Megan, said, uh, my mom still thinks about Kim every day, like the rest of us do. It's not a pain that lessens. Yeah, that's, it, I could imagine living, living with that, uh, your whole, your whole existence. It's just, it's, yeah, that poor family, the poor girl. Yeah. If you have any information on this case, it's still an open case, please contact any of the following Halifax Regional Police, at 902-490-5333 and reference case number 2006-99031. And Crime Stoppers, uh, 1-800-222-TIPS, oh, that's 8477, or online at a link that I will post in the show notes. Crime Stoppers provides anonymous tipping, so don't be afraid of Andrew Paul Johnson if, if it is him and you know it was him for sure. Tip the Sky, or anybody, yep. send an email to the National Center for Missing Persons and Un- Unidentified Remains. I'll have that email up there as well. And if you have any information that leads to the arrest and conviction of whoever is responsible for Kimberly McAndrew's disappearance, Nova Scotia is still offering a reward of up to $150,000. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Before we go, we uh, want to give some shout-outs to our Patreon patrons, our new Patreon patrons. Uh, Michael, or Michel, the French name for Michael, uh, C, uh, from Quebec, uh, he pledged uh, to us, as well, Tor. Tor! From California. Thanks, Tor. 
in Michelle. Uh, yep. And Gretchen, Gretchen P., thank you very much. Gretchen. Your good friend, Ariel. Yes, Ariel. Yay, hooray. Yeah, my Thanks buddy. Giving, giving us cashola. That's right. My camera takes color photos. Well, until it learns how to make art. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Molly S., uh, thank you. Catherine S., also pledged. Thank you very much. Thanks, Molly and Catherine. Thank you. And the, the, the biggest surprise, actually, this came this morning... There is another podcaster named Mike Brown, mm, and he, he just left to he fight just to the death. no no oh. we 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 are we are twinsies. Oh, uh, I, I really love his podcast, and it's called Pleasing Terrors. Mike has an amazing voice. He's the Mike Brown with the good voice. <laughs> he's, so, got, he's got a great voice, Mike. But if you listen to his his podcast, he really he'll pull you in. He's he's one of those storytellers who just sucks you right in and. Uh, Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really, really, really appreciate his 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 pledge uh, because he came in at our blue noser level, uh, and so he's dropping a dime on us, I guess. What, but what? Uh, woot, woot. So thank you, Mike Brown. I'm I'm comfortable saying your last name because I have the same last name, except he doesn't have an E. Uh mm. so we're almost. So which is the real one then? E or no E? Mm. Well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so if you'd like to pledge, you can donate to us at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or send us some donut money via PayPal or at our email, uh, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and uh, just search for Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Our closed Facebook group, The Yumber Yard, is active lots of uh irreverent things happening in there so if you're if you're if you're a very sensitive person i wouldn't perhaps maybe come in there <laughs> there's something for everybody there's something for everybody but please yeah don't, don't check it out it's it, yeah come come check it out don't it, be offended by it's, things. it's a great place and i apologize to uh all of our uh active members in there and listeners that I haven't been as active as I'd like to be, but it's been a very hectic couple of weeks with father-in-law in and out of the hospital. Photo projects. Photo projects and stuff like that. So yeah. I plan to get to... And being Mr. Mom. And being Mr. Mom, yes. Uh, I plan to be get, getting in there more frequently again, but it's just been a hectic couple of weeks. And the kids were off, right? They were off on spring break. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. If you want to subscribe to us, please do so. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or at our host, Podbean. Uh, iTunes reviews are awesome, uh, except that four-star one, because Oilers fans uh, uh, think I went too hard on their team. I'm very sorry. You know, we beat them the other night anyway, so. You know, three stars now. Three stars now. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I, I think... All Canadian hockey teams are great. For I sure. really do. For sure. Except for I hate them. Yeah. They're great, but aside from me hating them. And so um, here's a promo for California Dreaming. I really dig this show. So have a listen. Hi, I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming podcast, a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop 
from all around California, from the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country. No crime, no town, nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so California Dreaming sounds like fun. It does, yeah. That, yeah. I, I quite like that. Yeah, I, I dig the name. Their logo is kind of cool. It has a real California kind of feel to it. Yeah. And, yeah. So, Great voice. So, yeah, exactly. So that's it for uh, this episode. Thank goodness. <laughs> we don't have... Oh, Scott just died. I just closed. I'm sleeping. <laughs> He's sleeping. Thanks for letting us fill your ears with some more dark poutine. I can't believe we tore off 20 episodes don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple 20 20.5 20.5 all right thanks folks bye-bye bye, bye. bye.